Hey, First Gen family. This is your host, Rich Two. This is a special series in this feed called First Gen Stay Home Edition. The mission is the same, sharing immigrant stories from the creative community, but in this new normal we're all experiencing. I'll be catching up with friends of the show as well as some new ones. Before we get to our guests, I encourage all of you to help support your frontline healthcare providers and donate to First Responders First, a fund dedicated to frontline healthcare providers serving during the coronavirus pandemic. And you can do that at help.firstrespondersfirst.co. All right, Kathleen So and Vicky Ho, how are you doing? Hello. All right, so welcome to First Gen Stay Home Edition. Uh, we are currently in the middle of the quarantine in New York City. Uh, I think we all are. So first off, I would just love to hear a little bit about how you're doing. Where's your mental health, physical health? Um, well, first of all, thank you for giving us a reason to dress up. This is the first time I've put on makeup in a while, and it was honestly really exciting. I put on a dress today for this, even though you can't see it, but I have sweatpants underneath, so that's my mental state right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it hasn't, lucky, luckily, it hasn't been too bad on my end right now. Everyone is safe, my family's safe, um, lucky to still have a job, so yeah, just kind of grinding it out right now and taking the blessings as they come. <laughs> yeah, same. This is the first time I wore concealer in like... 33 days. <laughs> also wearing sweatpants below the shirt, though. <laughs> nice. Uh, sweatpants game is tight. If anything, if we wanted to invest in something, it'd be sweatpants, toilet paper, and I guess Purell when that was still available. <laughs> exactly. All right. So since this is the first time that you've been on the First Gen Podcast, I would love for you both to talk a little bit about who you are and where you're from. And then I want to talk about some specific uh, things with issue six of Banana Magazine because I was looking at it today. It looks really dope. So I want to get into all of that. Cool. Um, I'm Kathleen. Um, Taiwanese, Chinese, American, uh, first generation from Texas. So mostly grew up in Dallas. Um and yeah, I've been in New York for about eight years, so that's really it. <laughs> I'm Vicky. Uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, still in Brooklyn. What was the other question? <laughs> oh, just uh, who you are and where you're from, basically a little bit about on your heritage and yes. and all, all the in-between stuff. Yes. Um, yeah, so grew up in Brooklyn, still here, uh, first generation Chinese American, loud and proud about it, and yeah. I think that's the, the yeah, that's the basis of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about Banana Magazine. Well, first of all, I'm a big fan, and it is a beautiful magazine. And I was looking at issue six today. Congratulations again on another no, monumental no. task. I know editorial is not easy. That shit is super hard. Uh, can we talk a little bit about how you two met and how you started the magazine? Yeah, for sure. Um, Kathleen and I met, I would say like seven, seven or eight years ago now. Um, we both started in the fashion industry and that's how we met. Um, I was in, I, I'm still in PR, that's my full-time job, but uh, eight years ago I was pretty heavily more so in the fashion PR space and Kathleen was in fashion trend forecasting and so we met um, just through industry events and mutual friends um, and uh, long story short, we got really drunk off margaritas one day and we're like, let's please work together somehow. Like we enjoy each other's time and company. We enjoy the, you know, the, the things that we talked about, you know, which 
back then it was hard to find people who could talk equally about your personal interests like fashion as well as your cultural interests you know the things that make make us who we are being you know uh chinese and so um because of all that great conversation we really wanted to find a way to bridge those things together and find an opportunity to work together and uh banana mag was the answer to that when when it came to putting the first issue together or i guess well I would love to talk about a little, bit, a little bit about the logistical complexities of putting together a full magazine that is fully art directed. You have, you know, uh, you have writers, presumably a staff. And I guess in the beginning, when it comes to these artful magazines that are, I, I, I want to say niche, I don't know if you describe it as niche, but still putting out an excellent product. What were those challenges that you found at the very beginning? And the only reason I'm asking is because I started my career as an editorial illustrator. So when my, my experience with editorial and, you know, getting phone calls from like the New York Times or Business Week or New Yorker or something, I I look at the machine there for those comp, uh, for those uh, publications. I think, wow, that's massive. So, how did you accomplish that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of work, like you said. Um, luckily, you know, since there weren't very many pl- platforms like Banana Magazine at the time we started, and although it's growing now, it's still pretty scarce. Um, you know, me and Vicky were lucky enough to have a lot of. Uh, friends and and family like in the community that like worked in editorial there were photographers illustrators um all of that so we were able to tap into them and um sell sell people on the message and the just like the mission that we were trying to accomplish with banana magazine and and just were lucky to have such talented people around us we created the platform and we supported them in, um, you know, helping bring some stories that they had and wanted to tell to life. Um, and we're also really lucky that everyone, um, you know, pitches in on a volunteer basis, um, which is great because, you know, as most people know, indie magazines make zero dollars. <laughs> okay. So do indie podcasts, by the way. Zero dollars. It's, you know, all relied on on volunteer basis and, and just like hard work on, on everyone involved. So we're really lucky. Yeah, logistically, it was not easy to figure out at first. Um, we leaned on a lot of other indie publishers at the time too, just in different who were in different types, of, who were in different mediums of of publishing and and topics. So um, we leaned a lot on the indie community just to get advice on you know what printers they used, um, you know what are the types of specs we need to look look for when we're designing something. Um, you know we. We were lucky enough that both of our experiences combined and our day jobs, you know, really like lends to how we market banana um, or how we publicize it. But it was definitely through like the community and the people we've met along the way that guided us on more of those like technical things and us just giving ourselves a time to learn and, and figure all that out and being okay with mistakes. Like, you know, if you saw how issue one looked compared to how issue six is going to look, it's such a drastic difference. Um, and it really shows how much we've learned through the six years. Totally. Wow. Six years. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Annual publication. <laughs> uh, what, what was the community like? I, for me, when I think of indie mags, I think of, you know, cult classic or like undo for sure. Mm-hmm. Like those are the homies too. And like office magazine, like what, what was, yeah. what do you consider the, the class of indie mag that you're in right now? 
I mean, all of, all of the publications that you you just mentioned, uh, we've talked to, like Quote Classic, they've reached out to us. Um, they sent us some issues and it's beautiful. Um, Undo Magazine, you know, also Asian run and they've they've been really cool and supportive along the way. I think, you know, back when we started, um, there's just so many indie magazines out there, which still blows my mind because I know how much work goes into it and how little money, you know, comes from it. Um, so I think it's just a testament to how many people are willing to like put so much energy and work into, you know, telling stories. Um, but it's all magazines of that caliber. And, and we're lucky that a lot of them exist out here in New York. And there's a lot of like digital communities, like a really great Facebook group that we're a part of where, um, you know, we all support each other. Like people will post up like a question like, oh, what's a great European based distributor. And then like everyone's kind of gone through the same thing. Like we're all almost learning by trial right. and error. Oh, um, everyone uses that one European distributor. And 10. Yeah. Like, <laughs> everyone uses them. People, yeah, so. everyone, everyone uses them. <laughs> we, we were almost going to use them at MTV for something. And then we just heard that everyone, that was like the go-to. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, distribution is like a crazy topic because you you just learn how how massive those distribution companies are and how little they care about the context of a magazine. You know, their, their whole thing is just to sell in mass. And, you know, it's, it's hard to find distributors that actually understand what you're selling and then therefore know the right places to put your magazine in. Um, N10 is one of those that really um, focuses on more independent and art culture focused publications. So, it's been really nice working with them and, and they know where to put us like around the globe. So. Yeah. Oh, that, that's really cool. I want to talk a little bit about the mission too, because obviously this podcast and why I'm so interested in having uh, both of you here is we talk a lot about identity and the, and the meaning of identity and how important it is um, to one represent yourself and, and represent your heritage, but in a way that is loud, proud, and kind of allowing for people that look like you and look like us to see themselves within the media space. And that's something that is super passion point for me. Like, can you talk a little bit about the mission for you and also how you've seen the landscape of Asian representation change over the past six years that you've, since issue one? Yeah. Ooh, loaded question. I know it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I feel, you know, I feel like our, our mission has always been the same. Um, I think it's evolved in, in different ways from, you know, when we first started in 2014 to now in 2020. Um, but the mission overall is really just to high, like have a platform that highlights Asians in the, in the creative space. Um, we've always wanted to, and like, you know, from issue one, we start working with mostly just immediate friends in our creative community. And now it's kind of really spread so, so much wider than that in issue six. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we know that minorities, specifically Asians, we don't always get the spotlight that we deserve or, or want. Um, and sometimes we're almost even shy to get that type of attention because we might not be used to it. And so, you know, we, we wanted to use banana as that opportunity to, to really be able to show off your work, not be afraid to be creative, to really smash those typical stereotypes that you would think of, you know, what an Asian person has as a career. And, um, 
yeah, really let that shine. Um, and I feel like it's really, that mission has really manifested differently over the years. Um, especially, you know, we, we had, um, we, when we had our issue run, when Trump got elected, you know, the sentiment there like was very different. The mission was the same, but the sentiment was a bit different. The stories that we told were a little bit different. Um, and you'll see in issue six too, like we, we were doing this, finishing it up right in the middle of COVID. And so you, you see that sentiment in our editor's letter and, you know, just how we start to portray it in the context of Asian America today. Um, you know, the messaging changes, but it's still the same core that, that we want it to be. And, it, and, you know, it's just changed obviously a lot in the last six years because the amount of conversation around like Asian representation in the West is just growing. Um, and, and as that grows, we have to evolve and like telling stories differently or like getting, it gets, it gets a little bit more complex. Like when we first started, you know, it's like what I call starter kit Asian issues where it's like, Oh, I brought my Chinese food to lunch when all my friends had Lunchables and they made fun of me. And you know, that story has been told so many times in the last six years and it's still getting told, you know, I was listening to the daily the other day and it's still, it's still getting told because everyone's at a different level of like coming to terms and understanding, you know, what it means to, to have Western and Eastern influences in their life and grow up that way. So I think, you know, as time evolves and now how our collective identity evolves, like within the Asian American space, we all have to start thinking differently about how we tell our stories and, and what stories we tell because it gets so niche and specific. It's like Asian American, but then it's Eastern Asian, Southeast Asian, South Asian, and then it gets to Filipino and then like Chinese, Taiwanese. It's all so different and niche and we all have our own set of um, problems to deal with. Can you talk a little bit about a story that you tried to tell over the course of all six issues that you felt was a particular challenge that maybe you, um, it was a, a harder nut to crack from an editorial perspective, or maybe there was a nuance that you didn't realize was there that you uncovered? I mean, first person stories are tough because everyone has a different perspective, right? Like when, when you do tell that story about, I brought my lunch to school, whatever, like, that's specific to someone who grew up in white spaces. And then you talk to someone who grew up in the Bay area and they had a completely different experience. And, you know, even myself and Vicky, when we talk about our experiences, they're very different. She grew up surrounded by more, way more Asians than me. Whereas like I was surrounded by all a bunch of white people, 99% white people. <laughs> so I think that like, as we take on narratives like that, like we have to be really, careful in presenting them as like one person's point of view and, and not generalizing across everyone's experience because it's so, it's so different. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, when, when there weren't as many Asian publications that existed then compared to now, um, it was really hard to tell everyone's story without getting like slapped on the hand for it. Um, or it was, hard to you know pe people wanted more from us but we didn't have the the time or the like the resources or even the knowledge to really give that to everyone so it was really important to us that like when we talk about banana like we're never positioning ourselves as experts of asian culture sometimes it's e easy for people to think of us as that and then you know 
think like, oh, how can they talk about just these things? There's so much more to talk about. That's true. You know, it's absolutely true. So we always, we always try to position ourselves as, you know, learners. We're, we're learning about Asian culture and all the differences and nuances there is at the same time as our readers. We're not experts at all. Um, and it's been really nice kind of having more publications come out that can really tell those very specific stories. And then we can just really focus on like the overall, you know, supporting Asians in creativity space. Yeah, for sure. I think my, when I look at banana, I think that it's investigating the Asian diaspora, but in a way that is like, it's, oh, it's always a discovery space. And, and it's um, what issue six currently is will be completely different from what I presume issue seven will be because something else might uncover itself or another um, phenomenon within the Asian community might surface. And then that'll be another thing to discover. I've, that's why I've always seen as a magazine. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, no, totally agree with that. I would say like we, well, we just started doing more like packaged stories um, about two issues ago. Um, That has been kind of, um, yeah, that's kind of been our core kind of like discovery um, set of stories. Um, you know, a lot of times people ask us, do we have a certain theme that we do every year? Um, and the answer is no. You know, we, we try not to just like combine every single story under a theme. The theme is just Asian culture. Um, but we did start doing more packaged stories, which is where that discovery comes in. Like um, two issues ago, we decided to uh, explore Asians in um, the cannabis space. You know, we were seeing all these people popping up and um, our, our cohorts, you know, people on the West Coast investing so much money in cannabis. Um, and yeah, bunch of, a bunch of weed smoking Asians just getting super yeah. lit. <laughs> yeah, and you know, now in issue six, you know, the, one of the biggest things we're seeing is this huge rise in Asians in comedy. And so our package feature for that is really exploring um you know, what it's like to be on camera as an Asian entertainer. What's it like being in the writer's room? Um, and so we, we talk a lot about that in issue six. Yeah, actually, I was reading the Rodney Chang story. And the one quote, the one pull quote that really sung to me was, I'll actually read it here because I annotated it. Um, Ronnie says, the eternal struggle is wanting to tell Asian stories, but then not wanting to be labeled as Asian. And I think, uh, well, one shout out to Ronnie Chang also in the Viacom CBS family. So that's what's up. Uh, youth and entertainment brands, dope, <laughs> holding it down. But the, but for real, the, the thing that I find as a, as a personal challenge also in that space is that when you're sitting in certain meetings, you just don't see anyone that looks like you. But I think that that falls on a lot of uh, minorities in a lot of large corporations. And, and I, what is interesting about what Ronnie Chang says, does, and represents is that he he does tell Asian stories, but also, yeah, I mean, he's he's so Asian. We all look Asian, <laughs> you know. Like you can't you can't escape it. So the the labeling from an executive level is, level is something that is, I think, a challenge to overcome. Yeah, um, Jessica Gao who is a, a writer as well. She, she talks a lot about that in the, in her piece um, where we feature her. She, uh, she's actually an Emmy, Emmy winning writer from her time at Rick and Morty. And um, in the interview, she talks a lot about how she's oftentimes not only the only woman in, in the writer's room, but is the only Asian in the writer's room and how hard she has to fight for those stories and to explain to people um, you know why in, in a world like Rick and Morty, 
it makes sense. Like, why wouldn't there be an Asian person that lives in that world? You know, why is it all just, there's weird aliens and stuff, but there's no Asian people. Like that makes no sense. Um, so she, she talks a lot about that, which, um, I think is really interesting. Is there an Asian person on Rick and Morty? Now I'm trying to think. <laughs> um, yeah. But voiced by Susan Sarandon. Oh, oh she does have an anecdote for that in the interview. Huh. Pretty interesting how that happened. Dr. Wong, I think. Yeah, Dr. Wong. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Dr. Yeah. Wong. Man. Um, all right. So, so on that note, too, uh, I do want to call out the, uh, the food feature that you did. Shout out to Winsome right down the street from me. Yeah. Um, Gonna get yeah. that for dinner tonight. <laughs> oh, for real? I ha- I haven't even ordered from Winsome at, at all during this pandemic. I, I might be messing up. I probably should do that. <laughs> yes, should. So yeah. Uh, so what what do you think is uh, what was your favorite part of the uh, the food feature, or in terms of like of the cuisine across Asian nations that are represented there? Do you two have any personal favorites? I mean, I'm, I'm Filipino, so I'm biased, but <laughs> I'm biased too. It's Taiwanese. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> and those mochi donuts are fucking bomb. At <laughs> I will say I frequent, I well before COVID, I frequently tried to go to Kopi TM as much as possible for that nasty lamak dish um, with the, uh, the fried fish uh, anchovies on top. So good. Classic Malaysian breakfast. Oh, yeah. Actually, on on the COVID note, like, what are you two missing about the the food, cuisine, the going out culture? Well, what I keep saying is, like, my food situation is grim because I suck at cooking. So the biggest difference is that I'm I'm just like eating crap all day that I tried to make, but. Um, something that I've been trying to do now is like FaceTime my mom and have her show me how to cook some of the dishes that I really want to (laughs) eat. So I'm kind of eating like mediocre tasting Chinese food right now because I'm trying to make it as good as my mom's. (laughs) You got that minced pork down, Kathleen? Um, I did, except it's a little dry, so I have to work on it. Um, yeah, my, my food situation is, is not too bad, I guess right now. I think what's the most heartbreaking is just the fact that a lot of our, um, Chinese grocers and, and restaurants are, you know, are shut down and I'm, you know, I'm almost more terrified to, to know what it's going to be like after COVID, like how are things there, there are going to be businesses that won't be able to open back up afterwards. Um, and you know, for me, like my, my weekly dose of Chinatown is actually, you know, me on my way to Kathleen's apartment to work on Mm. banana every Saturday. You know, that's where I go to Canal Street Market to pick up food. That's where I, you know, stop by Yaya Tea Garden for my onigiris. Like shout out to Canal Street Market. Love love that team. Love that place. You know, it's like, it, it, it really sucks to just see that. Um, and you know, I hope we'll be able to find ways to support Chinatown and continue to support, you know, all these friends you've met along the way that have supported us in that neighborhood. So I'm pretty bummed about that. Uh, but food wise, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I got a lot of, uh, frozen Chinese sausages in the, (laughs) (laughs) going back to the, the Asian store owners, well, the Asian businesses in New York, uh, when COVID 
uh, really hit, there was such a massive wave of anti-Asian bigotry that I know it affected me, affected my mentality, my my family and our thoughts and feelings. And also uh, me, my fiance, you know, we, we feel some type of way when we step out the door. So like, what, how do you two feel? And uh, do you have any thoughts and reactions to that? And also any sort of like silver linings once we get out of this? I mean, it's scary, um, you know, and, and we talked a little bit about that in our editor's letter because we have the president of the United States, you know, using language purposefully that's going to just exacerbate like that, that feeling. Um, it's, you know, and, you know, I follow those Asian Instagrams where like they report on it daily and, and it's kind of crazy because most of the reports are coming out of Australia, which I'm not super surprised by because I know it can be pretty racist down there. Um, but you know, like there's, there's a lot of really good journalism going on right now, like about what's going on. And, you know, it's something that is coming to light cause it's existed, um, you know, forever. And, and it's definitely a little bit more aggravated now, um, because there's something very specific to blame on our entire, uh, our entire race, you know, like not just, not just Chinese people, but like a lot, like I think I read like 64, 60% of, of the Asian people who are being targeted for these hate crimes are not even Chinese, um, which just goes to show how people like white, well, I guess non-Asian people will just target anyone who just looks um, East Asian. Right. The level of ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I don't know, because we've been dealing with it our, our whole life, right? And it's just gotten worse during this time. And I know. who knows what's going to happen. We were on such a good trajectory for a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just shows that, like, you know, the, the hu- human nature will always kind of see differences um, and, you know, feel as like they're, if they're different from you, then they're, they're not, like, they can be the enemy. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, luckily, like our Democratic candidate is stepping up and saying something. So everyone go vote in November. So (laughs) hopefully we have a leader who is on our side. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. All right. So uh, as we're winding down, wow, that was weird. 30 minutes already? It's crazy. 30 minutes? Wow. Yeah, it's already 3.30. Can you imagine? Um, actually, I've, I've been finding that these interviews have been so, like, tight, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is pretty wild. Um, I actually might start doing the podcast like this more often, aside from all this, just because it's so such an easy process. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so moving forward, like, wh- what do you think, well, what's, what's next for Banana Magazine? What's next for the both of you? Uh, what are you looking forward to? Oh, I just got the, the Zoom <laughs> notification. <laughs> I know. So what, what are you looking forward to, uh, not just issue seven, but on the horizon for not just Asian culture and the diaspora, but for yourselves? Man, I mean, you know, we're... Honestly, I just feel so blessed that we can continue to do this. It was kind of dicey for issue six, just financially. So, you know, we're really lucky to have the support of the community to be able to print issue six. You know, I just want to be able to keep telling these stories um, as much as possible. Um, You know, we, we really wanted to do some touring this year. I don't think that that will happen, but at some point we want to be able to have more IRL connections with our readers. 
um, it's so easy to just be stuck in New York sometimes. And last year we got to go out to LA and connect with people out there. And so hopefully we can do more of that. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest kind of change this year from the years past, obviously, is that since we're all stay at home orders, um, all of our like issue launch events are canceled. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the magazine shops, bookstores, boutiques that we rely on to also carry and sell our magazines are not open. So, you know, we just have to really rely on, I guess, rallying people like to purchase online. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been really, really lucky because we had, we had a very successful pre-order launch. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a bummer because we love to get together and celebrate, um, the, the contributors who put all their time and effort into the latest issue, um, and just bring the community together. But, um, we, you know, we're in this situation. So, you know, try to, be creative about how we can do things digitally and um, just put, put a pause on those events until a later date. Yeah. Oh, actually, let me, let me circle back a little bit. How do you find your contributors? Like how does that community find itself? Like, do you, do you openly reach out Do do ideas and stories get pitched to you from an editorial perspective? Can you speak just a little bit about that process? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all the above. Um, You know, there are some contributors that we work with every single issue because, um, we're, you know, we built like a really great family and they like, like by the time they're done with the story for the current issue, they have like four new ideas for the next issue. <laughs> um, and then some we get through just pitches. Um, you know, it's always like a gamble to work with new people because when it's a volunteer basis, like obviously we need to just be confident that these people will pull through. Like, you know, a lot of the times since we aren't in the position where we can pay, like, you know, when you're doing something for free, uh, it doesn't usually mean that you're going to follow through, but we've been really lucky thus far. And, um, we had an amazing editorial director, this issue, Mike Fu, shout out, um, who can really help push the process along. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a mix. We, we try to have repeat contributors. We try to like, if we find someone we really love and respect, we'll reach out to them, um, for an illustration, for photography, for, for a writer. Um, so there's, there's like an endless vault of like amazing, talented Asian creatives out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We look a lot internationally too. Um, the covers are always really exciting for us. That's where we really, uh, do a lot of research on our own end to see, you know, who we want to capture the, the cover for, for the, for those issues. So, um, yeah, we found issue six cover Satanist out in Taiwan when Beautiful Kathleen was traveling out there. Beautiful cover. That was, yeah, like she's so sick, and that was from Kathleen just traveling to Taiwan and, and going into a bookshop and seeing her work. So, and she did an interior you know, story in the back you know, after too, right? Seeing that, we yeah. Uh, well, it's the front and back cover that she oh, did. Yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. And also the logo too. It's like so disruptive. Everything about it, so tight. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I'm seeing the meter on the Zoom. Like, I know, really, it's giving me so much pressure. Exactly, yeah. It's giving me anxiety right now. I um, might have to take a CBD mint. So um, where can our listeners, well, one, where can the listeners get issue six? Um, and also where can the listeners find you, find the magazine and anything else you want to plug? Yeah, Um Definitely look for us on Instagram. We do a lot of our communications there. It's at Banana Mag. Um, and then in our link in bio, you'll see a pre-order link for issue six. 
Um, and our website, general website is just banana-mag.com. Um, a few other things to note, we just released digital issues for all of our past copies so people can access it during this time. So definitely encourage people to check that the digital issues out. Um, and we also started revamping our All Things AZN newsletter. Um, it's a weekly newsletter just to keep people entertained during COVID. Um, it's also where we're releasing some stories that from past issues. And traditionally, we, we don't really release our uh, full stories at all from past issues. So this is a, a good time to, to read up on those gems. Oh, where can we find both of you personally, though? Uh oh, yes. Yeah. Personally, you can. <laughs> or find what else? Or whatever else. Find me at home. I'll be at home. So bad at self promotion. <laughs> no. <laughs> at Vicky Vibe. At V I C K I. Wait, sorry. At underscore V I C K I V I B E. And I'm just at Kathleen. So straight up. Straight up. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, Vicky, Kathleen, thank you so much. This has been a super fun conversation. We have to do this IRL when yeah. we can finally leave our homes over here in New York. I know. Thank you so much for having us. Big fan of First Gen. Um, yeah, hope to, hope to dim sum over this soon. <laughs> oh, we, we will dim sum. Dim sum in yeah. the future. Yes. All right. All right. 2020, 2021 dim sum. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rich. Peace. Thanks for listening. You can find the First Generation Burden podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get podcast content. On social media, you can find us at at First Gen Burden, and you can find me at Rich underscore TU on various social media. If possible, please support your frontline healthcare workers by donating to First Responders First at help.firstrespondersfirst.co. Check this feed for more episodes. I hope you stay safe and stay healthy.